From the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C., I am Denise Jung, Senior Fellow for the Strategic Technologies Program at CSIS, and you are listening to our podcast series on the Internet of Things. And I am joined today by two guests, Dr. Sokwu Ri, who is Associate Director of Cyber-Physical Systems at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Sokwu leads Internet of Things and Smart City Strategy, Standards, and Technology Development at NIST. He also served as a Presidential Innovation Fellow at the White House, where he co-led the Smart America Challenge. Before government, he was co-founder and CTO of Millennial Net, a company that specialized in low-power wireless mesh and sensor networks. Sakwa received his PhD in mechanical engineering from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Sakwa, we're very pleased to have you. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. We are also here with Dr. Michael Chewy, who is a partner at the McKinsey Global Institute, the business and economics research arm of the consulting firm McKinsey & Company. Michael leads McKinsey's research on big data, Web 2.0 and collaboration technologies, and the Internet of Things. Prior to McKinsey, Michael was the first chief information officer of the city of Bloomington, Indiana, where he pioneered the use of new technologies across the city government. Before that, Michael was founder and executive director of HoosierNet, a nonprofit cooperative internet service provider that offered internet access to consumers, nonprofits, governments, and businesses. Michael is a graduate of Stanford University and received his PhD in computer science and cognitive science from Indiana University, Bloomington. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So today's conversation will cover a range of issues related to IoT, including trends, effects on the economy and workforce, and privacy and security issues. But first, Michael, I was hoping that you could explain to us, what is the Internet of Things? Well, there's a broad definition of uh, the Internet of Things that we describe, which is sensors and devices uh, embedded in the physical world connected by networks to computers. Uh, That incorporates everything from uh, sensors that are embedded in the built environment, from bridges and buildings, uh, to sensors that we carry around with with us uh, that might be wearable devices, uh, and sensors that might be embedded in vehicles. All of these uh, digital sensors, when connected to computers, allow all kinds of value to be created. So if I add a little bit more to that... um, so there, there are many different uh, definitions of internal things, but one definition which is probably easy, uh, very easy to understand is uh, you have a lot of sensors out there and you collect data from those sensors using some kind of communication technologies and put those data into some kind of data storage uh, uh, system, for example, like cloud system or databases, and do big data analytics. I mean, that's where, where the big data analytics comes in and extract useful information out of those, uh, the flow of data. So that's kind of like a, a kind of a one definition of internal things. And if I could add to that as well, um, absolutely, I, I completely agree. And then sometimes the use of that data, um, that sometimes that data or that analytics is consumed by a human being, and then that person can, can make a, a better decision. Sometimes we have uh, systems where the, the loop is actually closed. Uh, that is, the, the data comes in from the physical world, uh, is analyzed in real time, uh, and then, cu- then signals come back out into, th- into the physical world, uh, closing the loop in a sense. Uh, you might have, for example, a, an assembly line, which is managed better uh, in real time. You might have vehicles, for instance, uh, that either drive themselves 
uh, or avoid collisions while, while you're driving. And so, um, you know, we, we see both types of uh, applications where the analytics are used to help people make decisions, and sometimes the analytics are actually used in real time uh, to um, help improve the, the functioning of physical systems. Absolutely. And if I just add a little bit more to that, that's where the term cyber physical systems come in. Um, it, it's not a very well-known term, but it is actually a term, uh, a government-invented term of hmm. Internet of Things with more focus on system control. So not just extracting useful information out of it, actually feed the information back into the system and most of the cases in real time and actually create a real action to benefit the uh, uh, whatever the, uh, benefits the user or the end, uh, end customer. So that's what cyber physical systems is. Mm -hmm. and there's a little difference uh, between IoT, but there is a clear difference. Yeah, you know, sometimes I think of IoT as kind of a buzzword. Uh, a lot of people uh, talk about it, like they talk about big data, for example, and they sort of oversimplify what it is. And clearly there's, uh, there's a lot of complexity and technical aspects of, of, of this that, that don't get captured in the definition sometimes. But I was wondering... Uh, where do you think, Michael, IoT technologies have the potential to be sort of the most disruptive to business as usual? Can you name some specific sectors or specific applications? Absolutely can. First of all, one of the things that we found in our research that uh, IoT um, can have tremendous impact in pretty much any industry that actually has a presence in the physical world. So, you know, the, our baseline finding is, in fact, you know, if you have any presence in the physical world, whether you're in the transportation business, whether you're in, in the manufacturing business, uh, logistics, uh, whether you're the retail business, if you have a presence in the physical world, uh, we do think that IoT has uh, the, the ability and, and the potential uh, for creating value for you, both in terms of the things that you're doing already, making yourself more efficient and effective, as well as creating new business ideas. But that being said, uh, let, let me spell out some of the areas where we've seen uh, the potential for disruptive innovation, and again, it won't be uh, it won't be comprehensive because, again, it's our ability to use IoT is is only limited by our creativity. Uh, but certainly, what we what what we see going forward is the potential for the Internet of Things to transform healthcare. Um, if you think about uh, the the um, chronic diseases, uh, and it's a small number of chronic diseases that drive a tremendous uh, amount of our healthcare spend. Um, in many cases, our monitoring of patients who have these chronic diseases is very intermittent. It might only be when somebody comes in for their labs that you actually get a reading in terms of how their disease is progressing or not progressing. Uh, whereas if you were actually able to monitor that, monitor that uh, more in real time, more as a continuous set of data, you'd be able to manage those diseases uh, in a much more effective way. In fact, if you can just keep one person uh, from having to go into the, be admitted into a hospital, that often is a huge win, both in terms of the patient's health as well as uh, the cost of providing health care. So we think health care is one of those, uh, one of those uh, uh, you know, sectors where IoT could have tremendous, uh, tremendous impact. Uh, certainly, manufacturing, a giant part of the global economy. Um, you know, it, it isn't new uh, that sensors and data are being used uh, in, the, in the manufacturing realm. And yet if you think about the granularity uh, through which we can actually analyze uh, and then increasingly predict um, you know, the, the ability to, to improve manufacturing, uh, we, we, there's huge amounts of impact there. You know, some mm -hmm. of the, the, the research that we've conducted shows over 99% of the data 
that's actually used in some of these contexts uh, is thrown away. So first of all, we're not even using all the data that's there. And secondly, a lot of the data that we're actually using in these contexts are for two purposes. One is alarms for triggering when something goes wrong, or secondly, uh, you know, using it for real-time controls. We think there's a tremendous amount of additional impact that can come from using that data to optimize, optimize a line, for instance, optimize process manufacturing. So huge amounts of uh, potential impact in, in manufacturing. And then we're seeing everything from automotive um, to, you know, retail. Uh, it can change the way that a lot of these companies interact with their customers. So there's just a, a, a um, you know, a sampling of some of the industries that we mm-hmm. think that IoT could have a truly disruptive impact mm-hmm. in. Sakwu, you're leading NIST's work on IoT and smart cities. Uh, could you explain this effort? I, I believe it's called the Global City Teams Challenge. That's correct. And before answering the question, let me just follow with a previous question, which is kind of important. Um, I completely agree with what Michael said. Uh, that has impact on all different sectors. Um, I want to flip the question a little bit um, so that question is not really about what, is the, gonna, what are going to be the industry and sectors going to be affected by the IoT. It's more like how does those sectors or how do the corporations, uh, what, what do they have to do to really uh, maximize the benefit of IoT? Because as you just heard, uh, virtually every sector you can think of, we're going to have benefit. Uh, we're going to enjoy benefits out of IoT. It's really a matter of who's going to be at the forefront and who's going to, to maximize it. Really, IoT is not exactly a, a product that you uh, manufacture from a, uh, from a factory. It's not like a cell phone that you assemble in the line. It's more of an enabling and a concept. And at the end of the day, the business model that should come out of this out IoT is not going to be a, a business called IoT. It's more like who's going to be able to use the concept of IoT to transform their existing businesses to the next level. So I kind of like uh, uh, used the analogy of the industrial, uh, industrial revolution. Uh, industrial revolution in 200, 300 years ago was not a product. It was a way that business was conducted, that the way the products were manufactured. So same thing, I, using IoT, people have to think about what is going to be the new business model that can be created out of it. And a lot of the corporations, and you know, it doesn't need to be big, small startups and large corporations are uh, you know, having uh, there are a lot of discussions, and I'm sure new business models are going to come out of it. Um, so get, getting back to the Global City Teams Challenge, um, so the, we, we have been talking about IoT for a long time. I mean, people say IoT is new. Well, it is new in a sense, but the concept has existed for at least like 10, 20 years. Um, so recently, it's been only recently that a lot of people started realizing the true value of connecting devices and collecting data and analyzing the data to extract important information. Uh, but still it exists as a very high level concept and almost people kind of call it hype these days. Uh, but at the end of the day, unless it really gives a real impact to our lives, unless people can feel like it can create a job or it can have an economic impact or it's gonna save lives or it's gonna create new businesses. I mean, IoT just you know, stays as like, okay, you just flip on a light switch, a wireless light switch and light comes on, so what, a big, what is a big deal? So we were thinking, okay, you really need to create, uh, really have to focus more on the tangible benefits. 
And when you look at the tangible benefits, the, the, we have to kind of look at where it's going to have the impact on IoT in collaborative manner. Again, we talked about sectors, but if you look at all these sectors, they can be all collaborative and doesn't have to exist as a sector-specific silo. And actually, which is a big problem, the fragmentation of siloed approach is a huge problem in IoT right now. So we would like to, uh, wanted to address and actually try to encourage the players and stakeholders in IoT to work together. And naturally, the city is an environment that you can look at transportation, healthcare, emergency response, um, you know, any, any energy systems, anything that you can think of IoT can benefit all exist at the same time. They all have to collaborate. So we created this program called the Smart America Challenge last year as a White House uh, you know, a Presidential Innovation Fellow Program, uh, which was more of an incubation of the projects. But now uh, we, are, uh, we are working on the second phase of the pro program, which is Global City Teams Challenge, uh, with more focus on deployments. Where are these cities located, and what specific types of technologies are you incubating? Yeah, absolutely. So the cities are look. I mean, the this is, as the name implies, this is a global program. So any city in the world. Again, it doesn't even have to be a city. It, there are a lot of counties. There are a lot of towns uh, that may benefit from the solutions that uh, you know that we are talking about. As smart city solutions can actually uh, uh, help. So most of the cities right now are located in the United States. Uh, a lot of them are East Coast, a lot of the West Coast, and actually in the Midwest and, and every, essentially everywhere in the United States. And also we are in discussions with the European cities that are very interested in smart cities and in some sense more advanced in certain area than the cities in the U.S. and also Asian cities. We are even talking to Indian and African cities who are very interested. Interesting. Well, so, you know, Sakwa, you had mentioned that the change that we see that the that IoT is introducing is, is kind of more like an industrial re revolution, maybe a smart technologies industrial revolution. And, you know, there's a concern that, that the rise of smart smarter technologies could have a negative impact on jobs and that could engulf American jobs more quickly than we can replace them. So I was wondering, Michael, you know, perhaps you could explain how the growth of some of these technologies will affect the nature of work and how we might sort of re-educate or train our workforce going forward. Well, you know, as Sakwa was, was mentioning, um, it does require uh, a different set of skills or an additional set of skills um, if you think about all the changes that the Internet of Things uh, can, can drive. Um, you know, certainly this panoply of sensors throughout the world is generating a tremendous amount of new data. And one of the things that uh, workers of the future are going to have to understand is how to make sense of that data. Um, I sometimes joke we should be teaching less calculus and teaching more statistics uh, because, you know, what statistics teaches you is how to deal with large amounts of data, which might not be perfect, that it might be, you know, dirty, as we say, or not have, you know, perfect data quality, and still be able to um, make meaningful sense uh, out of a tremendous amount of data. And so those skills around using data effectively are, are some of the skills that the workers of the future are going to have to understand. Even beyond that, one of the great things that you're able to do when, when you have data coming from the Internet of Things is to be able to conduct experiments. And this is something that people who are in the web world, who are on the mobile world, um, you know, have been doing for, for a long time. 
uh, this idea of A-B testing. Um, you know, it's the scientific method for those of us who uh, were trained at that back in school. It's the idea of coming up with a hypothesis, um, designing an experiment, you know, with, with a treatment group and a control group, uh, or several uh, treatment groups possibly, uh, conducting, a, you know, the, the experiment uh, in a controlled way, and then actually, you know, doing the analytics, doing the statistical uh, analysis to understand what's actually driving um, behavior. Uh, what's actually driving effective or efficient um, uh, uh, processes, uh, d discovering what's significant, what actually matters, um, what actually is causal versus uh, correlation, right? Mm -hmm. what, what the difference between causation and, and correlation. And so th all of those skills, uh, de experimental design, statistics, understanding the provenance of data, those are the skills um, that will be vital uh, for the next generation of worker, and indeed for this generation of worker, mm -hmm. given the speed at which these, these technologies are rolling out and the impact of them uh, in our industries. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are some of the skills that will be necessary mm -hmm. in order to be successful and in order for our companies to be successful and, and for the country to be successful. What's your perspective on this? Yeah, so there are really two, these are really two questions. First one is about the job itself. And second is about education. Let me first talk about job a little bit. So a lot of people are afraid of the scenarios that, well, if you have all those autonomous vehicles out there, there's no, going to be no need for drivers. What about taxi cabs and all the kind of questions? Well, there will be impact, okay? So there will be impact. And it's very easy for a lot of people to come out and create a, a, a scary story about jobs disappearing. But what they really do not, uh, want to uh, put more emphasis on is that there are going to be new jobs going to be also created. And the reason people more talk more about this scary story about disappearing jobs is because it's easier to envision it. I mean, creating a new job is a lot, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot diffic more difficult to envision what kind of jobs are going to be created. But there, I'll give you a couple of examples. During the Smart America Challenge last year, we had a project uh, that uh, wants to put in robots into disaster sites. For example, like when there's Hurricane Sandy, when there's a building collapse, and you want to send in, of course, firefighters, but there are places the firefighters have a hard time getting in. So you want to send the robots. But the question is, robots are not going to be autonomous. Somebody has to control the robot in a, from a remote location. Who's going to actually do that? I mean, firefighters are not necessarily trained to be robot-controlling experts. So the idea came up with, so what about veterans? What about vets? Um, they are used to command and control. They know how to control the machines. Those jobs are going to be completely new jobs that's going to be created out of these kind of new cyber physical systems in IoT. So it's just that people do not, can, it's not easy to uh, kind of imagine new jobs, but there will be a lot of jobs created. I'm very optimistic about job perspective that new jobs is going to, and historically, if you look at it, I mean, a lot of these new technologies, there has been very few, almost none examples that actual job numbers went down uh, rather than increased. Well, I appreciate your optimism for sure. <laughs> well, and, and, and education, I mean, the, the, it has to be really combined with education. That's the thing. Um, it, Michael made a very good point that new types of education should come up. 
put it this way, the internet industry or the computer industry as of today probably was would not have existed un, unless the kids 20 years ago or 30 years ago in school, there was Apple II computers, there was like IBM, you know, PC. There a lot of people were actually writing games, writing code for the game. These kids grew up to uh, support the industry that we have right now. Mm -hmm. Same thing we're going to have to happen. The, the, the essence of this IoT education is combination of the hardware and software. It's not just coding. It's not just like soldering, uh, using an iron, soldering iron to come with a small, uh, auto, uh, small uh, breadboard. It's a combination of so That's something that has to be taught in schools uh, going forward. And whoever gets taught, whoever has that idea, we're going to grow up in 20 years from now, they're going to be the leading force in in leading the new industry. Mm -hmm. Well, switching gears a little bit here, you know, you've both touched on sort of the value of the data that's produced by these devices, right? The often, often people focus on, on the devices, on the sensors, and the cool user interfaces, and what doesn't get as much attention in the mainstream is the massive amounts of data that's being collected by these devices and analyzed. And, you know, a lot of this data is sensitive information about behaviors and patterns of life of individuals. And uh, in the United States, there's an ongoing debate about control over this data and permissible uses of the data. Um, as IoT becomes more prevalent, do you expect users to demand more control over their own data? And how will companies cope with this? Uh, Michael, maybe you could go first. Well, a couple of things. Understandably, the collection of all this, of a lot of data, uh, particularly of, of data that's related to people, and um, uh, the analysis of that data, uh, the ability to uh, to extract behavioral patterns, etc., um, you know, raises the question of privacy. Appropriately raises the question of privacy, and and companies, you know, there's definitely uh, you know some regulations that have arisen because of uh, this concern. Um, and, and what we found uh, with companies is that certainly uh, it's important uh, to just meet the regulatory bar, to be able to uh, do what the law and, the regul and what regulations uh, say that you must do. Um, but, but we, we in, in, in talking with companies, have found um, that, that that's, just, that's just the minimum. That's like hygiene. Um, some of the other important things are uh, really being transparent about how data is used. Uh, and that might actually be more important than whether or not data exists or is collected, but being able to uh, explain uh, in plain language uh, how data can be used. And oftentimes, you know, regulating data use might actually be more important than regulating uh, the collection of data or, or, or the generation of data. Um, another thing that uh, we're seeing companies and organizations in general that have data do is, is try to understand not only the explicit agreements that they have uh, with consumers, with customers, with citizens, with business partners, with employees, but really understand the implicit uh, expectations uh, that these other stakeholders have. And, and being able to, to engage in a dialogue uh, about that is important in order to understand you know, what, what um, might be possible as well as you know, what is acceptable uh, to different stakeholders uh, in the data ecosystem. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that users, as they become more savvy Internet users and more technically savvy, uh, they're going to want to know, you know, what companies are doing with their data. And they may potentially want to have more control over the data. And 
is there a potential new business opportunity there for companies to come in and say, you know, we are uh, we differentiate our service from others because we give users control, more control. Do you, Sakwa, do you what do you think about this? Do you think that uh, yeah. as this so, technology grows, we're going to see more users demanding control? Well, I, I, at the high level, uh, first the high level, the concern of privacy issues is, is it's not going to disappear. I mean, there's always no hundred percent of privacy uh, uh, solution, but it has to go with the innovation. It's, it's like a two two things that have to go in parallel. If one thing goes too far, then whole system uh, basically stops working. So I'm also an again, optimist, optimist in this sense uh, that privacy issues are going to be properly dealt with as going forward as long as we pay enough attention to it. Now, to your question, uh, you know, going forward, are the people going to actually try to get uh, con uh, request more control of the data? Answer is yes and no. The, a yes in the sense that people are going to get a lot more uh, pay a lot more attention to what kind of data is be, are going to be being collected. But on the other side of the coin is IoT data, if you look at it, um, if you want to extract useful information that is related to privacy or something, you have to collect a lot more than what you see as a data as of today. For example, uh, if you, let's say, if, uh, for example, right now, if you, if you, if a social security number is leaked out, then that itself is a huge deal. It's just snapshot of a data leakage. It can create tons of problems. If you have a, a building temperature at one point, one data point is leaked out, that doesn't really mean much. It's just a one data point. Only time that you can extract useful information is you have to have a constant flow of data, constantly leaking out. So in some sense, in IoT data, it's a lot harder to manipulate or harder to actually extract useful information out of it. So point is, yes, people are going to request more privacy. Uh, going to, they're going to request more control of the data. But what does that control mean? Because one piece of information will going to give a lot less value than the Internet mm -hmm. data that we're talking about these days. Sure. Well, the FTC recently put out a report on privacy and security of the Internet of Things. Uh, and it cautions companies uh, about the privacy and security risks associated with IoT and outlines some best practices. At this time, uh, the best practices are, are just recommendations. They're not mandated by regulation. However, the EU, the European Union, uh, has issued mandatory requirements on companies to incorporate privacy protections into the design and function of products and services. Uh, and some have pointed out that, that regulation at this point may be premature and could have the effect of stifling innovation. So. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, uh, the both of you. Is is there a need for regulation? When is the appropriate time for regulation? If there is a need, what should the government do? Well, um, I, I, let me let me go first. Uh, in this case, um, there is a concern whether uh, premature regulation we're going to kill the innovation. That's what I meant by these innovation and regulation should really go hand in hand in parallel. Um, it's, it's not easy to say when is the right timing to put a title regulation because it's not going to be just one incident. It's not going to be one regulation. There's going to be a series of regulations, a series of discussions, and the modification of those regulations as go forward. So I think it's the right time. Right now is the right time to start talking about it, maybe start even 
thinking about you know putting in some of the rules or recommendations. Uh, but you know, eventually the innovation is going to also go on, and it's going to be affected by these uh, regulations, and it's going to kind of push back and the other way around, and it's going to be it's, it's going to be like a you know back and forth process. Mm-hmm. And I believe that you know that's kind of there's really no answers when will be the right time to put title regulation. Michael, what do you think? I mean, do you think that we should have more of a pre- free market approach here and just let customers, consumers? sort of negotiate privacy and security concerns contractually with companies? Well, d- d- just to echo Sokol, I, I think this is not a simple answer where it's, um, you know, it's either one way or, or the other. Um, you know, within the context of the policy discussion, it's going to be a combination of a set of micro-negotiations between citizens, uh, their representatives, companies, uh, uh, third-party stakeholders, et cetera. But I do think the distinction uh, between uh, regulating the use of data versus regulating the data itself is a very important distinction and a very useful one. Because oftentimes, I think what we found is that, in fact, it's not data itself uh, which uh, people find to be objectionable, but it's when it's used in a way that um, you know, conflicts with people's fundamental values. And so I think thinking about the use of data is an important, um, uh, an important uh, way to think about how we should regulate this data, whether it's through public policy regulation or whether it's through the policies that an individual user of data in the ecosystem uh, decides to adopt, um, you know, whether or not it's the, the things that it, they commit to uh, through providing transparency into the use of data. I think, again, the, the distinction between use of data versus the, the data itself mm-hmm. is incredibly important. Well, final question to you both. If you were to advise the U.S. government on IoT issues, and you may already be doing that, uh, what what would you say? As you know, let's talk about technology incubation, privacy, security issues. You know, final word here. What would you say government should do? What's what what what's your recommendation? Let me just uh, mention a, a few topics where I think the government could have an outsized amount of Im, uh, impact, uh, positive impact regarding IoT. Uh, number one, funding research, uh, funding basic re- research. Uh, all of this, uh, all of the impact of IoT comes about as a result of Moore's law, as a result of the technology moving forward. So, being able to to make sure that that uh, that that technology curve continues to 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 um, you know accelerate in an exponential way uh, is going to underpin the ability to create value going forward. Uh, secondly. Um, it, ensuring, as we talked about before, the ability of our workforce to take advantage of this, uh, of these technologies. And that is going to require more STEM. It's going to require more statistics, more machine learning, uh, being able to deal with this data. And by the way, that's not just for the professionals who are developing the technology. Again, anyone who's making a decision uh, based on a large amount of data, and increasingly, we will all have to do that. Literally, we will all have to do that as consumers. We'll all have to do that as workers. We're going to all have to do that as citizens. Um, if we can raise our game in, in that way, on, you know, on a country level, on a global level, uh, we're all going to be better off. So I think those are two key ways in which the government can uh, truly make sure that the Internet of Things uh, has positive impact in the world. Saku, anything to add there? Yes. So, um, so government um, traditionally have two different roles in in any kind of like innovations or any kind of like technology developments. One is uh, what I call carrot, that's really research funding, and the other one is stick, and which is really regulations. 
So traditionally, there have been you know two ways the government actually uh, uh, nurtured any kind of innovation. I believe in IoT, there is actually a third way to be to nurture the innovation a lot more effectively. It is is uh, uh, basically providing a playground for this Internet of Things technologies. The reason is a little different is because uh, this IoT today is too fragmented, meaning everybody claims that theirs is the best and everybody thinks that they are the best. And there are so many different applications, so fragmented, there are different standards and everywhere. So really, government does not need to regulate them, but what they have to do is provide an environment that all these different crazy ideas or innovative ideas can actually be tested and can, uh, can have a chance to, uh, to bloom, uh, to, to really uh, take off. And that's kind of like what I believe I'm doing as a Global City Teams Challenge. And we don't necessarily give out funding. We don't regulate anything. We provide an environment that these kind of different companies and academic institutions and, you know, even the nonprofits and government agencies can show off what they've got and, and get, get that, uh, you know, accelerate the deployment of it. So the point I'm trying to make is government always have to think more progressively in terms of what they can do to nurture new uh, industry like IoT. And I believe, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of things that government can do. Well, this has been an enlightening and interesting conversation. Uh, Saku, Michael, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, Dr. Michael Chui is a partner at the McKinsey Global Institute, and Dr. Saku Ri is the Associate Director for Cyber Physical Systems at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. This has been a podcast by CSIS on the Internet of Things. I am Denise Jung. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.